of a sudden, she said, get the nurse, get the nurse. I said, what's the matter? Get the nurse, get the nurse. The baby is coming, the baby is coming. I said, the baby is coming. She said, the baby is coming. Get the nurse, get the nurse. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The baby is me. I'm, I'm the baby. I'm already here. She could not focus. The baby was coming. This is Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Storyteller, a storytelling podcast about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. I'm Chris Doucette, and I'll be interviewing caregivers to get their stories about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Occasionally, I'll also interview the authors, advocates, researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Alzheimer's and dementia to hear their stories, too. So, are you ready? Here we go. Okay. Um, I'm Keith Amparato. I live in East Village, where I've lived for almost 24 years now. And I'm here because uh, in 1996, um, my father died uh, of uh, lung cancer, unfortunately. Uh, I'm an only child, uh, and um, it was at that time that I discovered that my mother had Alzheimer's disease. And how did it come about that you learned this about your mother? Were there symptoms? Did you start getting concerned? Was she concerned? Uh, my father had been obviously ill for about a year or a year and a half, and uh, my mother was caring for him. And uh, towards the end of his life, we placed him in the old Cabrini hospice. And uh, she and I visited him regularly, and uh, he passed away very quietly. Mm. So that was a Sunday. That Monday, we went to the uh, see the funeral director. Uh, my mother already knew what she wanted to do. And we sat down with him and we started the discussion. And he started to list all the different items that you have to choose and uh, all the different arrangements you have to make, and my mother was answering him with a yes or no, etc. I didn't really have much to say. I didn't need to contribute. And we got to a point where she said that she didn't want something in particular. And I said, well, you know, I think I'd like to have that. And she just looked at me very briefly, and she said, well, I, I, I don't think we need it. And I said, well, yeah, but I'd like to have it. And her entire, I, I don't even know what to call it, her whole personality changed hmm. just in a, in a second. And she said, which was very uncharacteristic because she was an extremely well-mannered, very well-presented woman, she said, well, if you want to have such a thing, you can just pay for it. And I thought, oh, oh, okay. So I took my credit card out of my wallet and I gave it to the funeral director and she reared her head back slightly and she said, you can't pay for funeral charges with a credit card. And the funeral director said, well, ma'am, in fact, we do take American Express, and you get points, et cetera, et cetera, for it. And she got up from her seat, and she reached over and grabbed the credit card 
from the funeral director's hands. She plunked it down in front of me and she said, this is my husband and I will take care of his affairs. So I thought, oh boy. She's a lot more upset than I thought, but all right. So that was over. We had more discussion. We were led downstairs uh, in the building to look at caskets, etc. And she said in her normal tone of voice, why don't you pick out a casket for your father? You should pick out the casket. And I said, that's not necessary. I said, you should get what you, no, no. She said, I want you to do it. Hmm. So I said, okay. And I picked out, I think it might have been oak an oak casket, and I said, oh, I think this one is fine. I hadn't been casket picking in a long time. <laughs> and she looked at it briefly, and she turned to me, and she said, it's wood. I said, well, I, I know it's wood. She said, he'll get wet. I said, huh, he'll be dead. He won't know. <laughs> and she said, well, I don't want it. I don't want it. And I said, well, if it was good enough for Jesus Christ, it should be good enough for him. She mm. said, well, I don't want it. Mm. So I said, well, all right then. You should pick out what you want. So she wandered around a bit, and she picked out a metal casket, and I think it was dark blue, and she said in her normal tone of voice, well, I think this one, I, I, I think I like this one. She said... Is this one all right with you? Do you like this? Now, are you thinking at this time that her no, kind of extre wait. extremity is just a grief? It must be grief you're thinking. No, no. I'm, not, I'm not exactly thinking, but I am. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you like that one, that one is fine. I said, that one's absolutely fine. She said, well, yes, I think I'd like this one. And so we concluded our business. We went home. Well, we went pick up Chinese food, and then we went home because nobody was going to cook, and um, home to her house, and I spent the night, and I was thinking, but I didn't know what I was thinking about exactly, but I was thinking, and I was probably giving myself a set of excuses. Well, they were married six months less than 50 years. This is the only husband she ever had. Mm -hmm. It was the only wife he ever had, as far as they told me. Mm -hmm. Of course she's upset. Mm. So the next day, we went to visit the priest, because my father was a very observant Roman Catholic, and my mother was the complete opposite of that, whatever that means. We ended up in another kind of argument situation about... Uh, uh, different parts of the Mass and how, would they, how they would take place. At one point, I had to say to her in front of the priest, uh, listen, Sadie, this is what's going to happen. There will be communion. You will go up to the altar rail with me on my arm, and you will drink that wine just like I'm going to mm -hmm. and go back to your seat. There's no compromise here. You just have to do it. And the priest said, do you speak to your mother that way? And I said, Father, this part is none of your business. Stay out of it. So he backed away. And she had quite a number of other objections. And I told her, sorry, it's going to happen this way. We went home. We had dinner. 
And that night or the next morning, it just hit me. And I said to myself, Keith, your mother has Alzheimer's disease. Wow. Just like that? Just like that. It was that simple. That's what, that's like 48 hours later? Is yeah. that? Yeah. And I was certain of it. I was absolutely certain. How on earth could you have been certain about such a thing? I knew my mother. I knew her In 1996? Well. I knew my father well. I knew their personalities. I had seen them both in stressful situations, especially since my father had been sick uh, uh, for, for 18 months to two years. Right. I, I don't even right. remember her raising her voice during the time he was ill. Um, and she wasn't feeling well uh, right. a good portion of that time. She needed to have a hysterectomy, I learned later. Mm -hmm. um, she wouldn't even consider having the surgery while my father was sick. So she was under a tremendous amount of stress. And never, she never raised her voice. I just knew. You just knew. So uh, that Monday... Uh, I called Downstate Hospital where she was a patient, and I uh, actually spoke to the neurologist. In those days, the doctor would actually let you talk to him on the phone. <laughs> and I said, I want to make an appointment. Um, my mother is blah, blah, blah's patient. Uh, I believe she has Alzheimer's disease. And what, if, what knowledge did you have about Alzheimer's disease in that time that could, could help you make that decision back then and so quickly? My grandmother... Um, who died in 1962, was said to have been senile. Uh, uh, the word Alzheimer's was not used. Uh, but I knew... I see. I, I knew what that family uh, of, of words, uh, of discussion was. Right. You saw the connection. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother, however, uh, I don't ever remember her being angry. <laughs> she she never she was just the happiest um, person who had dementia that you ever met. Right. Uh, in fact, um, my eldest cousin at one point caught her literally throwing dollar bills out the window mm -hmm. to people in the street. <laughs> <laughs> she was just just smiling. She was just thrilled yeah. to death at what she was doing. Uh, so this is a complete opposite of the behavior that I saw in my mother. But right. I, I knew. Right. I, was, I was sure of it. In any case, uh, she did have her visit with the doctor. And, mm -hmm. you know, the work that they did in those days was rudimentary at best. And uh, he right. did what he did. And um, he called me mm -hmm. and he said, uh, I, I want you to come back in uh, uh, for a follow-up visit, etc. cetera. Uh, he said to me, I think that you are probably right. He said, I think your mother does have Alzheimer's disease. I want to know how you were so sure. And I said, I know my mother. Mm. He said, I, I, this has not happened to me before. Wow. No one's ever come in and said. I said, we're also uh, realists. Uh, that's just the way we are. Mm -hmm. So we went in, we had our visit, and... Um, uh, I said to him on the side, you know, uh, you, you have to tell her. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, we don't tell the patient. He said, we don't do that. Really? He said, no. Um, uh, I said, uh, well, who's we? I said, I'm saying you have to tell her. He said, uh, we really shy away from doing that, uh, uh, at, certainly at this point. And I said... Listen, let me explain something to you. 
you're going to tell this woman she has Alzheimer's disease. I'm going to sit next to you, but you're going to tell her. I insist on it. So he said, okay. And he told her, and uh, her eyes just widened. And she said, I do not accept this, and I will fight it with everything I have. <laughs> and that was the end of it. It was the end of the visit, and I never used the word with her, and mm -hmm. she never used it with me. And that was that? That was that. And how do you move forward from there? Well, I knew that certain things um, would have to be taken care of. Mm. Uh, I knew absolutely that there was legal business that had to be done. In those days, we had a three-year look back. Um, I knew the clock was already ticking on that. Right. So I wanted to take care of the legal work immediately. And I what did you do during at this time? You, uh, you had a career. What was your career at the time that when you were in your mid-40s? I was, I think in the, yes, I was working for the New York City Board of Education as a consultant. Mm. Uh, there was flexibility in my time, which was a godsend. Absolutely. You know, see, sometimes yeah. different situations in your life, you have to look for the good pieces. Uh, and I'm an only child. There was just me. And not that I don't have friends or whatever, but I'm also not the type of person who kind of foists responsibilities on someone else. It's mm -hmm. my mother. I have to take care of her. We, I thought and thought and thought, I made a list, what do I have to do? I happened to call my friend Clara, who is almost 20 years older than I am, and she said, you know, I listened to a man on the radio, and this is his area, elder law, which is a somewhat of a new area, and he talks about dementia and Alzheimer's disease and the legal work that's necessary to protect the patient, blah, 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 blah. She said, um, you might want to see him. I made an appointment. I went to see, see them. Um, they did all the legal work for me. I think I paid pretty much as much as you'd pay to buy a house or something. But, um, wow. of course, at that time, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't matter how much it cost. Right. What mattered was, and, and, I, and I could do that, fortunately, yeah. um, uh, second piece of luck. Right. I was able to do that. Uh, and I have to say, it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. And I was getting very nervous. But they did an absolutely perfect job. Mm. on all the work they did. They only forgot one thing, which mm -hmm. I reminded them of. When we got to the end of all the work, the special needs trust and all uh -huh. the rest of this, I said, um, you haven't said that you'll do a will for me. And they said, no, that's not included in the, the package. I said, but you know, I'm an only child and you know my father's dead. What happens if I die? And exactly. the attorney said, you know, you have a point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, well. And a future career as a lawyer, it turns out. I, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, let's, let's get busy with a will. And she said, okay, uh, uh, you know, there's certain questions you'll have to answer, blah, blah, blah. You'll come back for another visit and start thinking about what you would want to happen uh, if you weren't here. Who will take care of your mother? Who will be responsible? Because right. that's going to go into the will. Then we just started to move forward. I had um, people coming in. Plus, I also knew at that time that I'd have to find my mother uh, a geriatrician mm. because the doctors that she was seeing were not, and I knew that she needed 
she definitely needed that. I also knew that was a difficult person to find. And I at least felt at the time that she wouldn't go any place except to the State University Hospital in Brooklyn. So that was a challenge hmm. uh, because uh, I wanted to bring her either to NYU or to Presbyterian. She, that wasn't a, she said, I am not going to New York. Yeah, right. And I thought, Keith, you have to pick your battles. Right. This is not one you should right. fight. And all um, of this decision-making that you were making, the plan that you kind of laid out, you make it sound like it's common sense, but it's not necessarily common sense. So what— For me, it was. For, for you, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I just started to think of all the things that I knew had to be done. Right. Uh, so uh, I won't go through this story, but we did identify a geriatrician mm -hmm. at, uh, at, at Downstate, mm -hmm. went to visit him. I wasn't impressed— uh, I knew one thing, because of my mother's history, she had been very sick as a child and spent a lot of time in St. Luke's Hospital, and I knew that the geriatrician would have to be black. That, that was a challenge, but we, we found Dr. Mohammed Nursain, uh, who was turned out to be wonderful after he and I had a little talk. So we had. The I'm first, sensing a theme here. Yeah, there's a theme here. We had the first couple of visits. I wasn't impressed, and um, I decided that the visit should be something that we prepared for. And so I prepared a memo for this next visit, and I told him about my mother's behavior and everything I'd seen and what I thought was a concern, et cetera, et cetera. And I told him how we were going to conduct the visits. Mm -hmm. I said, because I noticed that you talked to her, and I don't know if you believe what she says or not, but half of what she says is stuff she made up. Mm. And I don't know if you understand that. And I don't see how you can treat her. So I told him um, that I was going to tell my mother that I was going to sit and take notes while they were having their little visit, and that uh, after the visit, I would send him a memo, and in the memo, I would tell him exactly what was accurate and what wasn't accurate mm -hmm. and what I thought we needed, and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. He was a little miffed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I was immovable, and um, we, as it turned out, it became an absolutely spectacular relationship. Wow. It was a wonderful relationship among the three of us. It worked out perfectly because he would ask her questions. She felt she had to have an answer. She, she made up an right, answer. Right. It was never accurate. And this is all since that the day after your father's uh, uh, death or funeral when this started happening. So this she didn't make up stories before that. She was, nope. she seemed, everything was perfectly nope, fine. And nothing, then like nothing. that. I, d I could yeah. never so have said to you before my father died that I saw any signs of dementia with mm. my mother. Mm. Uh, however, if we want to step back just a bit, after my mother died, and that was in 2011, so she lived for quite a while, mm. Mm. I was talking to my Aunt Martha, and I made a trip out to California, and Aunt Martha was telling me about a trip that they made to Hawaii in 93 or 94, where she thought my mother was acting very strangely. Hmm. And that's when I knew immediately, this is great. I said, now I can 
finally set the clock and I can see what's really accurate in terms of a timetable because I couldn't do that before. So then I knew that it didn't start in 1996. Right. It started in maybe 93, 94, or maybe even a year earlier. So I, I was happy for that information. Of course, right. I said to her, why didn't you tell me she was acting like that? Yeah. And then I remembered literally every seminar, everything that I did at uh, Caring Kind. And I remembered, again, people don't tell, especially peers. They're not going to tell you. They're just not. They're going to protect their friend or their relative or whoever it is, mm -hmm. but they're they're not going to tell you. So talk about that. Talk about because you know you're you're clearly very matter of fact, and you have said that you have a practical family and you you deal with the facts and you move on. Um, but you don't have to have been emotional during this time. What was your emotional inner life and in, in, in reaction to having just lost your father and then? learning this about your mother. It would be unfair to say I was emotionless, because I wasn't, but uh, I am practically oriented, and uh, I had to do two large things at the same time, go to work, mm -hmm. uh, and um, f start figuring out how my mother was to be cared for with very little knowledge. Mm. Uh, that took up my time. Um, what I can tell you is that uh, previous to my mother's diagnosis, I had two boyfriends, uh, both who died from HIV, mm. uh, and I did both of those estates. So it wasn't as though this was unfamiliar territory in an odd sort of way to me. Right. Uh, so you've been I, in the trenches before. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was able to do this. And the last one that died happened to be one that both of my parents were extremely close to. Oh, um, I'm they, so sorry. For whatever reason, almost adopted Tom and threw me away. <laughs> so uh, I was... I, I was well healed by this time. Right. But I, I want to add one other uh, story in this process because it's important. Mm -hmm. So we're going through all the financial stuff that we have to do. My mother has an account at Merrill Lynch, mm -hmm. and uh, she's going to have to give it over to me, and I am now actually scared <laughs> uh, because I have no idea... I mean, I know how I would feel if I had to do that. And yes, I'm her son, and I, I hope she trusts me. But of course, this is your life savings. Um, wow. So I make an appointment with uh, the Merrill Lynch rep and um, go to see Margot. And I'd had a conversation with her on the phone, a couple of them before that, and explained the situation, blah, blah, blah. But this woman didn't know me, and I didn't know her. Mm -hmm. She knew I existed, but that's about all she knew. Right. And uh, we sat down to have the conversation, and Margot was uh, an older woman, mm -hmm. so she was pretty well healed. And uh, boy, that was another massive piece of luck for me. We had the conversation, and she explained that just recently uh, she had given her power of attorney to her brother because she realized she was aging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, my mother being in a, a situation where she was aging, and she was very careful in the way that she approached my mother. And 
this is I, this is very hard for my mother, and I'm watching her, and I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do if she says no? Because this means all the legal work just goes right down the drain. Right. And Margot talked to her, and she responded, and Margot talked to her, and finally she said, well, I suppose if I were to give this to anyone. I guess I'd give it to my son. <laughs> and I took a deep breath and I said to her directly, could you have possibly constructed a more conditional sentence? <laughs> and she just didn't respond. And that was the end of that. And if that's an example of a time that you were uh, a major time that you were lucky in this process, was there uh, were there examples of stories where you were not so lucky? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 not all going to be about luck. <laughs> so um, I get to thinking at a number of points, there's going to be a time when she can't stay here in this apartment. I don't care who comes in because uh, I had multiple caregivers. Mm -hmm. It was right out of the Alzheimer's book, right out of the book. This one took this, this one took that, this one did this, this one did that. Oh, complaining about the, the visitors, oh, right, absolutely. and blaming them for various Abs things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, because you lived, you lived, where did you live in relation to your mother at this point? You didn't live in the, in the house. No. You lived? Um, I lived in my apartment uh, in, 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 in the East in Village, the village but right. by car, I don't know, 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. Uh, so mm -hmm. that that wasn't uh, that wasn't an issue, and I, I kind of sort of had the sense that she wanted to maintain her independence. There mm -hmm. was certainly room for me, but I didn't have the sense that she wanted uh, uh, me to stay there. And I was thinking, this is your good luck because you don't want to stay there, so because uh, mm -hmm. you need some breathing room. Absolutely. And I, I thought if I stay there. I might suffocate mm. uh, uh, between the responsibilities there, going to work, paying attention, concentrating. And as a consultant, I'm not an employee. I don't get a lot of leeway. Right. So I have to pay attention. Uh, uh, and so I decided, okay, let me see if I can move her. Let's, let's see how that's going to work. So uh, I tell her about this wonderful building, uh, assisted living, where they have all these services and blah, 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 mm -hmm. um, right at Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn. And I thought, okay, uh, this is a dream come true because now my mother can stay in Brooklyn, her area of familiarity. Mm -hmm. um, it's a nice building. She can look out the window and... Uh, look at Prospect Park and Grand Army Plaza and the Botanic Garden mm -hmm. and I just thought this was this was again good luck so we go to take a look at uh, some spaces and we meet an absolutely wonderful social worker and she took us around and of course nothing was satisfactory and I said huge massive mistake number one massive mistake I fell into the emotional trap I said, well, if you really, really don't want to move, you don't have to move. And so it didn't happen. That was probably overall the stupidest thing I ever did. And why is that? 
Six to eight months later, she had to move. There was no choice. Uh, shortly after that, I called the social worker and I told her, I also said, uh, I'm sending you a check for $1,000. And she said, what for? And I said, it's a placeholder because I know at some point this is going to be a necessity. And she said, well, we really don't take deposits. And I said, you're going to take this one because I need to know that if I have an emergency and I call you, my mother can stay there. Hmm. And what do you think happened? About six to eight months later, I did have an emergency. Hmm. She landed in the emergency room. There was utter confusion. I called the social worker from the emergency room and said, when my mother's released from here, she cannot go back home. She has to come right. to you. Right. And she said, no problem, Keith, don't worry about it. And I said, well, do you have an apartment? Do you have a room? Do you have? And she said, oh, I don't know. She said, I'd have to check the roster. And I said, well, I kind of sort of need to know. And she <laughs> said, she said, these were her exact words. Your business now is to take care of your mother. My business will be to make sure that she can come here when she's discharged. I'll take care of mine. You take care of yours. I said, oh, okay. And she said, Keith, if your mother has to be in a bed in my office until we find space for her, that's where she'll be. Go take care of your mother. And so when she left the hospital, she never saw the inside of her apartment again. Mm. Now... I could have prevented all of that, but I fell. I fell. Right. I did really well up to then. Right. Really right. well. Right. It sounds like it. But I fell. I fell. I, I yeah. just hadn't the heart to um, take her out of her house. And so you're, you're telling me these stories, and I'm hearing all of you know, the, the ways that you're lucky, the ways that you're not, mistakes that you've made. At what, point, uh, at what point did you feel a need? Did you ever feel the need to reach out for help? I mean, you came to Care and Kind at some point. Was that out of a desire to help or to get help or to get more information, to learn more you know, tactics and, and, and tricks on how to uh, care for a person with Alzheimer's Everything and dementia? Everything and then some. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, initially it was for information because, as I said, I had to get started. Mm. I knew the financials were critical. Um, I knew arrangements were critical. I knew advanced planning was critical. Mm. And I didn't know what all the parts and pieces were. So initially, it was for that reason. But what I also knew, and one of the reasons I came to Caring Kind, was that I really had no experience or background for dealing with this mm. uh, for my changed relationship with my mother, uh, for the emotional aspects, uh, and everything else. And uh, Caring Kind offered groups. Mm -hmm. So um, I joined a group. Mm -hmm. um, Support group. Fairly right. quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I have a friend who's a very close friend who is a psychologist. And I remember complaining to him after about six months in the group you know, this is a waste of time. I'm tired about these people talking about their personal lives and their little emotional crises. I need help here. <laughs> and I'm not getting it in the group. And he said to me, uh, Keith, uh, if I remember, yeah, bachelor's in psychology or something like that, I, I don't remember. He said, did you speak up? I said, well, no. 
He said, <laughs> so you're telling me that you're complaining to me and you didn't say anything in group? I said, no. <laughs> he said, so what are you thinking now? I said, all right, I'm going to have to say something. Right. He said, <clears throat> you know how to speak graciously. You're not mm -hmm. going to offend anybody. Mm -hmm. But that's what you're in group for. Mm. So I went back to group. I said something like, I, I, I'm hoping that we're going to discuss some practical matters about how to take care of our loved ones and what the good places are and the bad places and who were the good doctors and blah, 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 blah. Mm. And everybody perked up because that's what they wanted too. Mm. But in addition, no one said anything. Right. I happened to have um, two good group leaders. And when my mother died, um, after all that I'd been through and the group and the experience I had and all the medical stuff and mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, the experience I had with caring, kind, mm -hmm. volunteering and doing different things, I thought, well, this is just great. Now I have all this knowledge and not a damn thing to do with it. <laughs> and uh, NYU, which is where I was working at the time, is really, really good with um, uh, staff and faculty resources. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of different resources, but we had nothing for this. Mm. So um, I approached the provost's office and I said, hey, provost's office, guess what? Uh, I think we should have a group. And that was, I think, in the late winter uh, of that year. That would have been 2012. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that September started a group. Mm. And the group continues to this day. Wow. Even though I'm retired, I still have to do <laughs> You're it. You're still there. But how, so that leads me to, to question, you know, from 1996 to 2012, 13 to today, do you see yourself as a different person? No. <clears throat> I see myself at 65 as the person I suppose I was meant to be. Um, it, it's not something I question. What, what I've learned is at this point, I've done 11 estates. Mm. All of a sudden, the relatives are coming out of the woodwork. Will you do my estate? Will you do my estate? <laughs> and uh, stupid me, I suppose I just... I just said, yes, sure, uh, mm -hmm. oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so I gained a fair amount of experience there. And I, I guess just because I was asked, I, I thought, what, what I realized later, because I half the time I, I don't think before I answer, which isn't always the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. People ask you to do this because they trust you. The piece of that that's, that's critical is the trust I learned in the process that my mother had for me. I never thought about how much my mother or my father trusted me. Mm -hmm. I, I suppose it just never popped into my head because there really wasn't a reason for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized after thinking about it, uh, your mother finally decided she was going to take a chance and literally trust you with her life mm -hmm. because that's what she was doing when she gave everything over to you. And that is so often the barrier 
that prevents caregivers from being able to take care of their loved ones. Uh, so whatever conflicts we had or whatever was between us that could be said to be negative um, uh, went away in uh, um, to, to be biblical uh, uh -huh. in, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It just went away. And so uh, I'm grateful for that. And, and I realized after, after thinking about it, because half the time, I, as I said, I don't think, I realized these people must really trust you. Mm. Um, uh, mm. when, when Lloyd died, that was my first boyfriend. Uh, he was white, Irish, from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. He had eight siblings and two living parents. Uh, they were not pleased that I did the estate. Mm -hmm. But, and again, he asked me, I just said yes. Right, um, right. Uh, and it, it, went, it just went on from there. Yeah. Um, and I, I realized, too, that um, people who entrusted me with this knew that we'd had a sufficient discussion and mm -hmm. I would do mm -hmm. what they wanted. That's what I would want someone to do for me. So I have one more story to tell you, because just because it's it's an interesting story. Uh, please go. So um, in the time that my mother was at home before she moved to Prospect Park residence, there were numerous emergencies and trips to the emergency room and, uh, oh, gosh, uh, all kinds of situations. So in one instance, uh, we went, and that emergency room is horrible. It's horrible. There were always 40 gazillion people in it. <laughs> and it, it doesn't, uh, unless you are bleeding from your eyes, you are not going to get taken care of swiftly. Right, right. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And it was hour after hour after hour. And the place was full to the brim. And she was on a gurney and we were in a corner somewhere and all of a sudden she said get the nurse get the nurse I said what's the matter what's the matter get the nurse get the nurse the baby is coming the baby is coming I said the baby is coming she said the baby is coming get the nurse get the nurse I said wait a minute wait a minute the baby is me I'm I'm the baby I'm already here she could not focus. The baby was coming. The wow. baby was coming. So, of course, I ran to get, try to get a nurse. The nurse, I could not get a nurse. So I get back, and she said, is the nurse coming? Is the nurse coming? I said, yes, the nurse is coming. And she said, oh, but the baby, the baby's going to come. And I said, all right, you know what to do. So to hold my hands, hold my hands, okay? Right. Now, take a deep cleansing breath in, remember? <sighs> Remember what we do, take a deep uh -huh. cleanse, cleansing breath in and then let it out. Take a deep cleansing breath in and let it out. Meanwhile, people are gathering. <laughs> and I'm hearing in the background, that old lady's having a baby? She's having a baby? And the people are they are looking and they're, they're trying to peer over to see what, what happened. The, the rest of it is obvious. <laughs> so you were a midwife to your own birth. I, I was a midwife to my own birth. But what the reason I tell that story is because when you're a caregiver, the one thing I think you have to be is creative. You have to be able to manage situations you could never conceive of 
in your wildest dreams, mm -hmm. and you have to manage them. Keith Empardo, thank you so much for coming in here and, and sitting down and having a chat with us. And I, I appreciate this opportunity. I, I hope that uh, at least some of what I said will be helpful to others who have to care for their loved ones in this situation. Uh, uh, in closing, I would tell you that uh, on one hand, it's, it can be, doesn't necessarily have to be in all instances, an absolute nightmare and um, you want to literally pull your nails out with pliers because of it. But looking at it from uh, another aspect, uh, it, it can be a set of some of the most valuable experiences that you'll ever have in your life. A great note to end on. Keith, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your story, go to caringkindnyc.org podcast. Maybe we'll use your story on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave some glowing feedback. We love positive reinforcement. I'm Chris Doucette, and you're listening to Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Karen Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving.